just a little house cleaning before I get started here. Most of you can't see this, but down on the stage here, somebody left a baby down here. And it was laying face down on the stage, and I didn't really feel comfortable with Chucky laying back. No, it's... <laughs> They didn't plan that, by the way. That was just, you know, I don't know, one of the props left around. Okay. Let me ask you a simple question. This is really a simple question, okay? I'm not, this is not a trick question, okay? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, what is, what is the thing that when somebody asks you what you are, what do you call yourself? Christian. Christian. Okay, that's not what we normally do, right? Did you know that in Scripture, though, that that's probably not the best term to call ourselves? You know that, that basically in the New Testament, the word disciple is used 269 times? Guess how many times the word Christian is used? Three times. The word disciple best describes who we are as, as followers of Christ. But for some reason, we kind of, and, and I was reading, my, one of the days this week, I was reading a uh, 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 a devotional from the Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard, one of my favorite devotional writers. And, 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 and as I was reading it, he reminded me of something. He said, yeah, the word disciple occurs 269 times, Christian three times. And, but it, it was first introduced the word Christian to, to describe the disciples. And he said the New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus Christ. But he says the point is not merely verbal because the disciple of Jesus... He said, this is the confusion we have. The disciple of Jesus, for some reason, we've got this idea that it's, it's kind of the deluxe or heavy-duty model of the Christian. It's kind of a different level of a Christian. A disciple is. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, a car. You know, we go to the car dealership and have been looking at cars and stuff. And, and, and you go and you have a basic model. Then you have the, the next level that's maybe called limited. And then you have the next level that's called touring or something like that. Well, for some reason, we think that the basic model of a, a believer is called a Christian, and then the really deluxe version is a disciple for some, some reason. And then uh, Dallas Willard says this, The first goal Jesus set forth for the early church was to use all of his encompassing power and authority to make, not Christians, but disciples. Having made these disciples, these alone were to be baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And with this twofold preparation, they were to be taught to treasure and keep all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And the Christian church of the first century resulted from following this plan for church growth, a result, not, uh, a result really hard to improve upon. But the thing is, it's different from us in the first century, is that we cannot literally be with Jesus. That's what a disciple was, somebody who was with Jesus in a real sense, the way the disciples. But the priorities and intentions, the heart or the inner attitudes of disciples are forever the same. In the heart of a disciple, there is a desire and there is a decision or a settled intent. And the disciple of Christ desires above all else to be like him, to be like Jesus Christ. The disciple is one who, becoming Christ-like and dwells by faith and practice systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. Now, the question for us this morning, we're like, what are you talking about here? Well, I'm talking about the reason we've been talking about all this stuff for the last several weeks. Our purpose is not to give you information about... Here, you're here in your mind, you're here in your, in your school, in your home, uh, or in, in your, with your parenting, as Chris and, and Brandon taught us a few weeks ago, or as we talked about the whole thing in the workplace. What we're talking about is how can we be a disciple, not the deluxe pattern, uh, uh, the version of a Christian, but all of us, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, are disciples, followers. And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to help you to understand this whole idea of what that looks like. 
in your, in your, in your uh, in the workplace, what it looks like to live this out in, in, in a school and uh, with parenting. That's what uh, Chris and Brandon talked about. And I talked about where it all starts in our mind a few weeks ago. But we bought into this lie that most of the Bible says it's for these super Christians called disciples. And we have to get that out of our mind today. And I want to kind of talk about that for a few, few minutes. And, and next week, Jake, you get to finish this all up and uh, talk about what it looks like in the church and the community here. Um, as I was thinking about today, this whole idea of home, how, how, does our, how does our faith, how does being a disciple, how is it lived out in the home? The thing that I understood was this. There's a couple of verses. We're going to be in two places this morning. One verse, or actually, yeah, one verse in John 13, and we're going to be over in Ephesians chapter 5. And one of my favorite verses that's totally misunderstood by too many people. And um, we're going to look at that, that in regard to our, our relationships. Uh, Jesus talks about relationships, first of all, in John 13, 34, when he says it this way. He says, a new command I give you. And really, this new command wasn't a new command at all because it was really an old command. He just kind of brought it back up to them to remind them of that. But he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And uh, when we look at that, if we have this mindset that there's two different types of Christians, those basic Christians and those super Christians called disciples, their idea would be, well, you know, when I look at scripture, you know, it's, yeah, I'm to love people. I want to have warm, fuzzy feelings for them. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. And, and so when we think of that, we think, well, this, this idea of loving as Christ, as God loves us, uh, is, is not for me. Because, you know, I, I, I'm not one of, those, one of those type of disciple Christians. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm a normal Christian. I go to church on Sunday, show up for a small group, pray occasionally, maybe give to the church. I mean, I do those things. But this loving one another as Christ loved us, do we really, how does that work? And when we, if we don't understand that we are all called, everyone who is a, a follower of Christ is called to be a disciple, one who, who has the highest desire to make Christ the center of everything, we especially misunderstand it in regard to the home. And this command and understanding its implication for health, healthy homes, this verse is huge. See, the reason for that is because we live in a culture, do we not? We live in a culture that has some problems with relationships and understanding what relationships are all about. One of the problems is that in our culture, our culture has a really low threshold of pain relationally. And what I mean by that is this. It doesn't have to hurt too bad in a relationship before we decide to get out of the relationship. Gone are the days, you know, I think about this with my parents. Uh, my parents have been married, let's see now. I know I'm 60, I'll turn 63 August 15th, and they've been married one year longer than that. <laughs> so I know how long, 64, almost 64 years, okay? And, and, you know, gone are the days of our parents. When, when I say I do means I do, and I keep doing and doing and doing and we look at each other and go, we dude, and so we're going to do it. That's kind of where we are. We've, we've seemed to have lost that in our culture because it's too easy to, 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 uh, to do that. And the other reason is because in our culture, the message we get every single day from culture is this. That if you are not happy in your current relationship, 
It's because probably, the reason is probably because you're with the wrong person. You ever heard that one before? It's everywhere. The reason you're not happy in your relationship is because you chose poorly. And so you need to get out and find somebody else to start all over again. Because that's what's going to make you happy. If you will just keep looking, you will find that, I hate this word, soulmate. I mean, that's what movies are all about, right? Really poor movies. And eventually you will find the right person. Because it's all about finding the right person. That's what culture says. And that's not what the Bible says, by the way. But I will let you know something. And I've been doing this a long time. If you talk to people that have been married for a long time, how long is a long time? I don't know. 25, 30 years. I've been married 37 years, so I've been married a long time, you know. My parents, 64 years. I know people that have been married 70 plus years that go to church here. Not too many of you. I think there's two. But uh, if, you ask, if you talk to those people, me included, they will tell you that there have been times, and I'm talking about couples that still have good marriages, okay? There have, they will say that there have been times when they wondered if they married the right person. Really? I thought that they you know, had it all together. That's why they've been married so long. But sometimes, hey, we kind of missed the point. And, but they'll also tell you something else. You know, they've, they've thought about that from time to time, but they'll also tell you, I decided that the person... I chose was going to be the right person. And we're so glad that we worked through those difficult times because I don't care what relationship you're in, what marriage you're in, how perfect it is, it's going to be tough at times. See, choosing the right person is part of it. But learning to become the right person is the other part of it. Now, I discovered something this week when I was uh, studying for this. I discovered something about myself. You ever discover stuff about, you know, aha moments after 62 and a half years? You know, woo you know. I discovered I'm a very poor marriage counselor. So I apologize to all of you over the last 15 years here and everybody else I messed up before that. And I discovered it this way because, because I'm not very patient with people and I'm becoming less patient with people. When people come in and they start blaming the other person, you know, and, and it always happens when they have marital problems. We blame the other person. Well, he does this and she does that. You know, they kind of come in there and I'm going like, I say to them, I say things like, well, are you loving them? And they'll look at me and like, well, well, I used to. I said, no, 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 I'm not talking about used to. I said, are you loving them right now? Well, I don't feel like it. And you know what my advice to them is at that point? I say, you need to look at John 13, 34, because you know what Jesus says to us is what? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Does that sound like a feeling? Can you conjure up a feeling? No, it's a decision you make. And so when Jesus says those, those words, Jesus, Jesus is doing something. Uh, I look back, I had a sermon in 2004 on this, okay? Uh, and, and, and it was called Love is a Verb. And 
or maybe 2006, I can't remember. I don't remember, you know, those, those dates and stuff. But anyway, Jesus identifies love here as a verb, not a noun. It's not about feeling love, which is a noun, but it's about doing love, which is a verb. And so when Jesus tells people to do that, and when I tell people in marriage counseling, they look at me like I'm from a foreign land. They can't understand because in culture, we think that love is all about this feeling, this warm, fuzzy feeling that we have. And if we're going to have a good marriage, i got to get the feeling. But you can't do that. You, any of you, guys, okay, I've talked to you this morning, okay? Women don't say this. Guys say this all the time. Have you ever said to your wife, and I want you all to be honest this morning, okay? Have you ever said you shouldn't feel that way? Come on, come on. I said that a, a bunch, you shouldn't feel that way. They're, they're, all, they're all come to you and they're doing it and they're talking all this about these feelings and you're going like, you shouldn't feel that way. Can my wife just, you know, feelings just happen. You can't just conjure up a feeling. You simply, you simply do that. See, what, what Jesus is talking about here and when he says, uh, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You can't conjure up this feeling of love. What is that then? It's, it's this verb. It's about, it's about doing the things that love would do, and maybe the feelings will come. Maybe they won't, but maybe they will. So this morning, what I want to talk about in this thing about the home this, this whole thing, it's really simple this morning. It's, it's simple, it's, it's, it's very accessible, what I'm going to talk about this morning. But for some reason, it seems to be something foreign in so many homes. If you want to have a great marriage, you treat love like a verb, an action, not like a noun, a feeling. But what does that look like? That's the question. What does that look like? Uh, you know, because we talk about it all the time, well, the relationship starts off feeling love. We start feeling love, right? We feel love at first. That's, that's part of the whole thing. But that feeling is not as strong after a period of years. I just, anybody want to admit that, that it's not always the same? And then if you've been married for like three weeks, it's still the same. But, <laughs> but, re, but life gets in the way of stuff, right? Life gets in the way of feelings. And sometimes we don't feel the same. You know, some mornings my wife gets up and goes like, I don't even like you too much. But I'm committed to you. Stuck with you is what she says usually. And the question, and when we don't feel that way, the question then for us, according to culture, is, well, then I need to try to get the feeling back. And so, the guy, you know, with the righteous brothers, got that loving feeling? You don't know who they are. Okay, that's a long time ago. That's prehistory. Okay, um, they were actually a group too back in the. Sometime, I don't know. So what we do when we don't have the feeling, what do we do in a colder culture? You go try to find somebody else because that's when it was, that's when it was warm and fresh and everything was great, you know. So this morning I want to talk about this. The, the foundation for having a great marriage is to make love a, a verb. The goal is not to recapture a feeling. Uh, as I was studying for this, I looked back at a series years ago. Andy Stanley, did, if you want some great information about this, 
Andy Stadley did a series years ago, I think it was in the 2008, 2009, called, called uh, Staying in Love. It's a four-week series that deals with this whole thing we're talking about today, if you want more information. I think it might be on Right Now Media, but I'm not 100% sure about that. I didn't look it up. But he's, in that series, he says this. He says, in the relationship, in our relationships, the feeling is the caboose of the train. I like that illustration. The feeling is the caboose of the train. Now, it's not the engine. It starts off as the, as the engine. It's the first thing that we have is this feeling towards somebody, right? Let's just admit, admit that. But then it goes to the back of the train and becomes the caboose. It's not the thing that drives that should drive our relationships. And then you're going like, well, how does that work? Well, this is, there's really a simple way of explaining it because later on in Scripture, in Ephesians 5, Paul instructs us about this exact same thing that Jesus just talks about in John 13. He talks about this, but he uses a very offensive term. Very offensive term in our culture. And it's not offensive in Scripture. It's offensive in culture. It's almost a dirty word in our culture. But when we read it, we need to understand this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. He says we need to love one another because in Ephesians 5.21, what does he say? He says submit. Woo, that's that dirty word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. That's exactly what Jesus did, just said. Loving one another is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The problem is as we read the next few verses, guys like the next three, uh, I mean, Excuse me, husbands like the next three verses, women like the next three verses after that. Totally out of context, though, okay? We forget about the first one It says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands love the next three verses, verses five, uh, chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, uh, which says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And, 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 and in our world, as man, people freak out over that verse. They're going like, oh, that means Christians are like... You know, guys are supposed to, like, rule over the woman. They totally miss the point of what it's talking about here. And then it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. How many of you guys want to give us a hallelujah? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like good instructions to me. Let's just stop right there, go home, and practice that. Just that, right? Wives, you don't look too happy. Or women, okay. But it goes on, right? It goes on. Because then it says, now the wives love verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to her himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Women, do you like that verse? That sounds good. Let's just take that out of context. Forget about the things that he says about me submitting to my husband. And let's just use that as our context of how we're going to live life. People like to do that all the time. Take scripture out of context. But what it's saying here, what is it saying? It's saying, let's go back to verse 21 again, okay? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's talking about, this is how it works out, these two things. Submit to one another. See, what Jesus is saying to us, if you want to have a great home, if you want to have an effective and fantastic relationship 
with your wife, with your husband, with your children. What you got to do is you got to do this. In your relationship, you have to look at the other person and say, you're the priority. And that other person looks at you and says, no, you're the priority. And then you get you have this priority battle. No, you're the priority. No, you're the priority. No, 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 no. no. It's like when you, get, you ever gone through a door somewhere and you have two people, two guys, okay, usually. And a guy will open the door and say, no, no, you, you first. No, no, you first. No, I, I, nobody ever gets through the door. Because we, we're so like, I don't know if it's macho or what the deal is. You know, we just kind of like, oh, no, I'm, I'm a child. Let you through the door. Right? We do that. That's kind of what it's supposed to be like in marriage. And in our home relationships. What, what Jesus is saying to us, what Paul is saying to us, this mutual submission idea, is that we're to submit to one another. We're to think of the other person before we think of ourselves. Now this morning, as I, and this week as I was studying, I went back and read, uh, which I would suggest if you want one of the best um, marriage books, which is not the least marriage-related book I've ever read, but it's, that's actually about marriage. There's a book called You and Me Forever by Francis and Lisa Chan. And actually you have access to all the small group stuff on Right Now Media. I do know that, okay? And I, and I was reading back through it, and actually I have the, have the e-version. And on the e-version, I didn't even realize this before because I'd read the paper version the first time. There's, there's videos embedded in there. And it was really the strangest thing. On Monday, uh, my, my staff did something really nice for me. I didn't know what they were doing. Um, they... Uh, <laughs> I can't call you my staff anymore. Okay. And, <laughs> Jake, I'm going to keep saying that. I'll mess up. So anyway, it's all right. Um, I, I, Nate asked me to lunch. Okay. And I thought, okay, that's cool. We do that sometimes. And so when I got ready to go, um, and, and then when we got to lunch, we started eating. And all of a sudden, the whole staff shows up. And we have the staff party. Okay. They're over here at Michael's. And it was, it was really nice. And they gave me a card. And all of a sudden, it said really mushy stuff in it. And and, uh, and gave me a gift certificate to Metamore Fields. And so I'm like, yes! <laughs> At least five golf rounds there. So anyway, so I'm be playing golf at Metamore Fields. Will anybody play at Metamore Fields? Let me know. You can go with me, okay? I'm not paying for you, but you can go with me. <laughs> but I say that to say this. Right before he, come, he comes in to say, you ready to go? I, he comes in my office, and I'm sitting there weeping. And he goes, you all right? I was just watching a video. And I'm going to let you watch the video this morning, just warn you. Because when I saw this video, it reminded me of what it means to say that love is a verb. Love is about doing what you do regardless of how you feel. And how do you stick together and stay together over all the years? It's not because you base it upon the feelings you have. It's because you make a commitment to the other person. And through it all, you stay with them. So pull your tissues out <clears throat> and get ready to watch this four and a half minute video of the life of a couple. It starts off really dark, so just kind of hang in there. We're going to pull all the lights down, and then we're going to look at that right now. Then I'll come back and kind of wrap some stuff together here. So let's, let's just watch this right now. Daniel? 
Yeah, right.
Daniel? Margaret. I did a wedding yesterday. And one of the things I said, I think we've probably all said this, is when we say our vows, for better or for worse, right? Most of us think only the better. I've watched this five times, <laughs> and I still get emotional. And I think so, because this reminds me too much of my parents right now. And if it was based upon the fact, my parents wouldn't be together for 64 years. It was based upon feelings. Love, there is feelings in love, but love is not a feeling. God tells us, Jesus tells us, love is a verb. Love one another, a command. And you can't command a feeling, but you can command an action. You want to have a great family? You want to have a great marriage, a great home? Make love a verb. Husbands, choose to love your wives. Wives, choose to love your, your husbands. Children, it applies to you too. Next chapter in Ephesians, Paul talks about that. And somebody has to take a risk of going first. You're going like, well, you know, if I choose that, they might not respond. You got to take a risk of going first. But you know somebody's already done that for you and for me? God took the risk of going first. He chose to love us, not because he felt warm and cuddly toward us, because he knows everything about us. He knows what we think, what we feel. He knows everything, but he still chooses to love us in spite of us. Because his love is an action. See, and we can only do that. We can only make that choice if we have Christ living in us and through us. Because if we become a disciple, a follower of Christ, if we truly connect with him and allow him to come into our lives, the power of his spirit empowers us to make a choice to love. That's why I tell young people, I say, do not, do not ever consider Marrying somebody who's not a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ. Because you know what will happen? There's no way they can love you the way that God wants you, them to love you. He chose to love us and put us first. So this morning, let me challenge you with something. Two things. If, though, if you already know Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple, a follower of him, this is our instructions about how to have a great home. Choose to love. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never followed him, the only way you can do that, the only way you can choose this, you can't, we just don't have enough power to do this day in and day out. But when Christ will come into your life and you say yes to him, you know what happened? He will empower you to live the life that he wants you to, to live as a disciple. Not perfectly, because we still kind of you know, per Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. But they're empowered. And they're empowered by God's Spirit to live this way. So 
if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to come and talk to me or to Jake or Chris or any, any of the staff or talk to somebody that you know. I mean, there's lots of people around here that can lead you down that path. Or if you'd like to have somebody to talk to, just take the card that's on the part of the bulletin, tear it off, put your name on it, so I want to know more about a relationship with Christ. I just had a conversation last week with someone who did that. And I, and I love those conversations. It's a favorite part of my job. But God wants us to have great homes. And the only way to have a great home is to make love a verb. Will you do that? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love. We pray that you would enable us, God, to understand clearly what it is that you want us to do and to be in relation to our homes. That making love a choice is the only way. God, the feelings will come and they will go. But the only way to really renew those feelings and to keep them long-term is to realize that when they go away, it's not about time to leave. It's about time to choose to do the things that love would do. So help us this morning, God, to commit to doing that. Those of us who call ourselves followers, disciples of Christ, because that's what a disciple does. God, thank you for your incredible love, your goodness. Enable us this morning, God, once again, to seek you with all our hearts. And not only learn the messages of Scripture, but to apply them to our lives. Guide us now, God, as we sing a closing song that will sing the song to you. It's an act of worship. But God, we will choose to love one another every day as an act of worship as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stand up together and sing this out.